This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with one of your favorite guests, which I think you're really going to enjoy. So uh, as I'm sure many of you are very well aware, there have been a number of violent incidents involving people who are taken by trans ideology and the response by our government, by our media, by our social institutions in general has been rather shocking to many people looking at what's happening and trying to understand why it seems like not only there's there no condemnation of the violence, but there seems to be a direct glorification and reward for the groups involved. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. And the Prudentialist wrote a great piece here recently that appeared on the Old Glory Club for which this stream is titled. So you can you can uh, credit him for the title. That's That one's not original to me. But he put it in a really good historical context. And so I thought it would be really important to have him on so we can kind of look deeper into what's going on, how these events are developed, and kind of how to place them and understand them in American history. So Prudentialist, thanks for coming on, man. Well, thank you for having me on again, Orrin. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah, I really love this piece. People should go check out the Old, Old Glory Club in general over at the Substack and specifically the Prudentialist piece by this name. It's very good. We're going to get into the events that kind of spurred this piece and what has come uh, or what has happened since, because believe it or not, even more has happened since the piece came out. But before we do all that, let's hear from today's sponsor. All right, guys. So there's a new movie coming out that I think you're going to really want to see. I was lucky enough to see a special sneak preview. It's called Nefarious. The best thing is that it's based on a book by the Blaze's very own Steve Dace. And Steve is really passionate about it. He was kind enough to have me come to an advanced screening. I'm sure you've seen the posters or maybe even the trailer, and it all looks great. It's kind of in between a horror movie and a psychological thriller. It's very much in the vein of C.S. Lewis. You know the book, The Screwtape Letters, of course. Steve calls it Interview with a Demon. A psychiatrist is called to a prison, and he has to meet with a convicted killer who's about to be executed. The killer claims that he's a demon named Nefarious, and of course the psychologist, he's an atheist, he doesn't believe any of the supernatural stuff, but he's got to decide, you know, is this guy insane? Is he pretending to be insane? Can he be executed for his heinous crimes? Obviously, I'm not going to give anything away, but let's just say that the psychiatrist is in way over his head. It's a supernatural thriller that's perfect for your friends who love scary movies, but also has a really important message. It's the kind of movie that you'll be thinking about long after you get out of the theater. Nefarious opens nationwide the weekend of April 14th, so make sure to mark the date and get your tickets now at whoisnefarious.com. That's whoisnefarious.com. Now, I know a lot of people probably looked at the events of Nashville and they thought to themselves, this is crazy because at a time like this, of course, we'd like there to be a moment of kind of just human mourning, a moment for 
people to look at the sorrow, to look at what's happening in our, in our society, to look at the difficult situation and just tragedy that has occurred for the families and to just kind of feel that for a moment. But unfortunately, we don't live in that world and our media immediately launched into a propaganda campaign, not on behalf, as is so often, of the people who were killed in Nashville. But instead, they seemed to be just completely obsessed with the appropriate pronouns with which to address a mass murderer. I know we're both in kind of the business of being cynical about our, our kind of our current media landscape and culture in general. But were you shocked to see the way that the media immediately responded to this? I think it's been three or four times I've been on Oren, and I think every time I've said this phrase that I'm not surprised. Uh, and I think that is the fact that we are sort of in the business of cynicism with our respects to the media and the press. But when you look at sort of how the left is operating, especially with this administration, I mean, we've spent years now talking about wokeism or more recently before that intersectionality and the idea of social justice and social progress, and that they're all sort of unified under this system of what I could only describe as sort of progressive fusionism, where every sort of disparate progressive issue, whether that be environmentalism, animal rights, uh, race relations, environmentalism, they all kind of come together to understand their place in this progressive hierarchy to sort of change society for what they see to be this sort of utopian, kiliastic vision. And so for the media to make a martyr out of this killer is not surprising considering that they've done it many times before in the past, whether that's over the issues of the Black Lives Matter riots in 2020 or more earlier than that when it came to the issues that happened under Barack Obama's administration with those issues as well. So uh, I'm not surprised that they had made the pronouns the central issue because this has been the large push out of this administration. I mean, just a few months ago, we had you know President Biden sitting there with Dylan Mulvaney you know, saying, bless your heart, in sort of that Southern exasperated way of, you know, acknowledging that that person was entering their 264th day of girlhood or whatever. So, you know, the actual martyrs of this, and we shouldn't forget that, were the six people that were killed in that school, including three children under the age of 10. Um, so to see the media, you know, double down on this is heartbreaking, because obviously, you know, in the past, anytime that there's been a school shooting, you know, we, we do mourn the victims. We try and give them their proper due respects and attention to grieve. But in this instance, no, they went full steam ahead with the Transgender Day of Visibility. Our previously scheduled event called the Transgender Day of Vengeance went forward that weekend, despite the events that had happened. So it has really been a mask off moment for this latest iteration of progressivism and that it should be a wake-up call to you and your audience that this is sort of a full steam ahead and that this is state-sanctioned violence against ordinary people. Yeah, and I think that's that's really important. That's difficult to say for people. I think it's very difficult for people to understand or grasp that. But there's really no other way to understand what's happening here. I think a lot of people are getting closer to understanding with something like Black Lives Matter or Antifa when they're allowed to to riot for you know weeks or months on end, they can they can see maybe the loose connection for them with you know the state sanction. Okay, the state's not stepping on this, so it must be allowing it in some degree. For you know, I think I think that's still hard for some people, but but more people are starting 
to make that connection. But a school shooting is a whole nother matter, I think, for some people, because the target is, of course, the most innocent among us. There, there's no, it's not the looting of a target, which shouldn't be okay either. But, you know, it, it's sometimes hard to feel sympathy as someone carries a big screen television out of Megacorp who hates my guts anyway and, you know, was more than willing to offshore your job and uh, and push, you know, uh, you know, transgender bathrooms on your kids or whatever anyway. It's, it's hard to feel too bad for, for a corporation like that or Starbucks or something. But obviously, this school is targeted, and it's not just a school, it's a Christian school. And that's going to be even more important, as we're going to see here in a moment. Because the the rhetoric surrounding this right away, like there was no lag time in between. You know, normally when you have a leftist who's a shooter, there's a there's a shell game that's played, right? When it's a right winger, it's the rhetoric. It's the rhetoric that caused this. It's the hateful ideology. It's the radicalization. This is what drove the shooter. And when it's a left winger or someone who's in the left wing coalition, it's a gun issue, right? It's, we, we forget about the, it's not the identity, it's not the rhetoric, it's not the ideology, it's a gun issue and we have to worry about guns. That's a pretty reliable, you know, uh, strategy for the left. They play it pretty often. But here they didn't do that. They, they didn't even for a moment pretend like the shooting was not about the ideology or identity of the shooter. In fact, they made that the central point and their immediate response was, well, if states like Tennessee weren't banning the mutilation of children and the teaching of gender ideology to kindergartners, then none of this would have happened. It was immediately a rush to blame the victim and no, no attempt to dis disassociate the ideology or the identity from the violence, but instead to make it very clear that these Christians had it coming because they opposed kind of this new state sanctioned ideology. Absolutely. And I think the thing that is really important for us to understand is, is that they will ignore the rhetoric, right? When it comes to usually they'll ignore rhetoric when it comes to say a left-wing shooter or a left-wing terrorist that is ostensibly on their side, because in this day and age, progressives and leftists and liberals do not have any enemies to their left. They'll just try and step back usually when the optics for such a thing ha you know, happens like this. But for this instance, they didn't. And this is where, similarly with the issues of abortion, you would see language emerge that we haven't seen before, like a forced birth. Um, or now more recently, we've seen that language be used for a forced adolescence or a forced puberty. Yeah. And this reinforces, I think, the outstanding kind of political mythology that exists in the progressive mindset Um and which is, of course, in regards to stopping, quote unquote, genocide from happening. You see this quite often uh, when it comes to the issue of transgenderism. We want to protect our children from being indoctrinated with an ideology that is associated with mental illness, a lifelong dependency on neurochemical altering substances, things that will forever change your body, wreck your bone density and your mental state, which oftentimes can lead to suicide. But to them, that's a, an equivalent to genocide. And, you know, we're both fran uh, fans of Dr. Paul Gottfried. I think his most recent book about anti-fascism plots this out very well. This is that, you know, if you were to ask these people, you know, what are the Tennessee state legislature doing when they're banning this? They call it fascism. And they will have no problem labeling you a Nazi when you want to defend your children from literal indoctrination and, and, and abuse by these people. 
And so for them, and under the idea of never again, we can't let fascism be on the rise in the United States, they're filled with this cultural memory of, you know, it could never happen here, so we must take action. Um, so for us, it may sound like, oh, wow, they're really holding our children hostage when they talk about threatening more violence or that the actions of the Tennessee state legislature, Oklahoma, or various other states, you know, they say, well, if you didn't do these things, we wouldn't be killing your children. But for them, they see this as an act of self-defense to defend their right to exist. So we have two totally different political mythologies that are coming to clash. For us, the basic stance of civilization, which is, you know, a mom and a dad, children, family, faith, religion, things that keep society going as they have been for as long as recorded history has told us. And for them, it's the inverse of that. We are literally seeing, you know, no pun intended, but we're seeing the, the transvaluation of values here, as Nietzsche would put it here. And so you're seeing individuals that have no family or family that they don't like because they disagree with them. Worse, they've got people whose parents abdicated responsibility, whether willingly or unwillingly, and let their children be raised on the internet where they're the most vulnerable to this stuff. I mean, just look at a, a place like Reddit. They have a, a subreddit called Egg IRL, egg being a term they use to describe people that are trans and they just don't know it yet. Literally a place that encourages the idea of grooming these individuals into um, the worst kind of bodily decisions possible. And so in doing this, we're watching the government, the state, the thing that more or less is the center of all power, which helps tell us where the culture is going to go, where the elites are going to be raised in the next generation to lead to this country, are saying, no, we do want a class of people that will target children, that will be essentially a, a eunuch class, that this civilization, America's civilization, has reinvented this, as we've seen in India and China throughout antiquity, and now it's here to stay apparently in America, lest we do something about it. Yeah, it, I, I have this vague memory of, I don't know, eight months ago uh, when the left was vehemently denying that this stuff was targeting children. I don't know if you remember, but there was the Boston's Children's Hospital and uh, they were accusing libs of TikTok of lying about them and the procedures they do and trying to incite, you know, something, some reaction about them saying, of course, these operations never happen. Of course, these aren't targeting youth. Of course, none of this is uh aimed at juveniles and people like you and I, and many in our sphere warned everybody like this is coming. This is already happening. This is the goal. This is the uninevitable or inevitable conclusion of their uh, ideology and the direction they're moving and it will come. And, you know, we got a lot of pushback. You're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. There's only, you know, don't be ridiculous. Don't be hyperbolic. It makes you look silly. You know, all these things. And eight months later, the president of the United States and secretary of health and, you know, all these hospitals are now openly saying we have to do this to children. We have to, it's not enough. It's not enough that, that this option exists somewhere for adults, which by the way, wouldn't be okay. That is to be clear for everybody that should also not be an option. Uh, but, but, but not only does that have to be an option, it, it must be pushed onto children and, this is the social engineering that I think you're, you're right that, that Paul Gottfried understands as anti-fascism and the therapeutic state. And it's because we've erected a system that is so against nature that is fighting natural hierarchies and inverting them in such a severe way that even a small disagreement could kind of bring the whole thing down. The left is so artificial. The world they've created is so fake 
the the hierarchy they've assembled is so uh, unbalanced that any crack in their power could just shatter their ability to kind of keep this thing suspended against gravity and all of the forces of nature that otherwise would bring it down. And so they really do see even the smallest question or restriction on the most extreme parts of their project as an existential threat, because it really is at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, you could literally say that this is what Carl Schmidt would call a state of emergency. And this is where you would need that state of emergency to decide the exception and to show us who sovereign is. We're experiencing right now a crisis of federal Republican democracy right before our eyes. And for this issue, the idea of abolishing, you know, the, the idea that we have two sexes, that, you know, gender is a spectrum, that we must abolish the idea that people have to go through adolescence as they are biologically designed to and created by God to do so, uh, has illustrated that, you know, if you are going to fight back against this, um, you've created a state of emergency for the existence of an entire class of people. And the state is making it very clear, this administration and those that support it are making it very clear that the state of exception will be answered with violence against those that cease to do it. So whether it was earlier at the beginning of this year with a you know literal insurrection of the Oklahoma State Capitol with the legislature that wanted to ban um, you know hormone therapy and that's even a it's such a terrible word you know poison on these children and the same thing with recently with Tennessee where they would storm these capitals to try and stop the law and have people openly advocate for and if not to absolutely take up arms to do so these individuals in the spirit of abolition you know, the abolishing of hierarchy, the abolishing of biology, the abolishing of nature and the creation in God's image. All that these people have done is sort of embrace this John Brown attitude that they have to reign things. They have to start a an insurrection. I know that many of our friends have called these things, you know, Tranuary 6 or Transurrection. And it's nice to do those things for clicks and to get people's attention and to play on words, even with my title. But we can't lose sight of the fact that what is very much at stake here is the abolition of the family the destruction of all things that come natural to us, a man and a woman making a child for the purpose of family and carrying on our lineage and our heritage and our history, uh, and instead for the total opposite of that. And this government immediately after Nashville, and even more recently with what's happened with Tennessee state legislature, is indicative that our, our normal politics, right, where we no longer club each other where we disagree. We try traditionally in our liberal system to, you know, settle things out like men at the ballot box, let the best ideas win. And some time ago, the idea of, you know, debate me or let's have a free open idea of discussion illustrates that that marketplace of ideas is incredibly rigged by those in power and has culture to do so. And that conservatives and especially those in the Republican Party and those within power or money or influence need to recognize that they're coming after them very quickly. I mean, you mentioned those things just eight months ago. I, I remember the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir back in like 2021 talking about how they're coming for your children. Or even just yesterday, according to Axios um, on the 9th, that Biden is you know putting out a digital strategy of an army of social media influencers in the midst of this recent discussion over the Restrict Act. But I think that that can also be used to push things like transgender ideology or legislation that would help support these things on a taxpayer basis, very similarly how to the average American taxpayer pays like, you know, some $30,000 plus a year to, you know, subsidize, you know, pre-exposure anaphylaxis for other parts of the LGBT community. 
Yeah, I think it's really important that people be careful with the term insurrectionist like you were talking about, because I do think that is a term the left use for a particular reason. I see a lot of people trying to adopt it to kind of kind of dunk on, uh, you know, or kind of show that, again, the hypocrisy of the left when it comes uh, to what happened in the state capitals. I mean, it's very clear that the state capitals were stormed by protesters, that they were fighting with police, that this would have landed any Donald Trump supporter uh, into on an FBI watch list and jail time. Uh, obviously we're operating on two entirely different uh, legal systems at this point. That's not anything new for people who are here, but I just want to encourage people to be careful with, with adopting the left's terms because of course the, the violence and the actions of these trans protesters and activists are, uh, are terrible and that they, they do show the stark contrast of who has political rights in the United States of America um, and that they don't exist on both sides of the political spectrum. But just, just be aware of the language you're using because it was selected by the left for a reason. It's truly amazing. I think for a lot of people, how the uh, two of the black uh, representatives who were expelled from this legislature due to their action during the storming of the Tennessee legislature uh, were immediately praised as religious heroes, civil rights leaders, of course, where where, where this is all directly pl uh, plugged into the civil rights narrative, the civil rights revolution. You know, uh, David Hogg was talking about, it already feels like history is being made. And it's like, yeah, because it's supposed to, this is manufactured for, for your benefit. You're the, you're the exact op, uh, uh, audience for this propaganda. But the fact that none of the families of the slain, none of the police officers involved in protecting uh, the other children and staff of that school, none of them were brought to the White House. None of them were pray were were uh, you know uh, met support from the president or the vice president. But the uh, representatives that were expelled for their gross actions and violations of the rules were immediately honored by the left for their for their behavior. And this is, of course, true of the wider uh, reaction to this. Madonna immediately raised money for the LGBT community, went to is going to Nashville to raise the money, but just spitting directly onto the graves of dead children, just 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 completely insulting. Like, it's very clear what the purposes of this was. You know, there's there's like a die in a trans die in at one of these state campuses. And if any Christian church had done that, it would be very clear what the intention would. It would be to mock the victims. No Christian church, of course, would do that in America at this point, uh, for sure. Uh, but obviously, that was the direct intention. And I think uh, it's one thing to understand that these people hate you. It's another thing to to watch them explicitly praise and encourage people who are celebrating violence against against innocent children. Yeah, and I, I think that this should also be a necessary wake-up call for any Christian in the United States, regardless of denomination, regardless of whether you live in a red state, a city, or a small town like myself, um, that persecution of Christians is back on the table. And that, you know, the history of the church is, you know, lit watered with the blood of countless martyrs throughout history. And if that means that we're having to deal with that in the United States, it looks like that's very much the case, that they're going to celebrate it, that they're going to mock people who were six, nine years old to, to do that and that they're comfortable with it because 
you know, you hear this all the time, whether it's by the quote unquote sort of socialist or democratic socialist YouTubers that say that, you know, there's only acceptable targets or bad targets in this instance. And even that kind of delineation has gone away that no, really with the actions that had taken place here are, are going to go about and do it. And what makes this even more dangerous and what makes this rather a daunting thing to talk about is, is that, you know, we've had people like Tucker Carlson and we've had others talk about the issue of demographics in this country with respects to immigration. We have not talked about the social contagion, a literal, a mind virus, if you will, on this sort of transgender ideology. Right before the 2022 midterms last year, uh, Politico released a report from the Pew Research Center and the Human Rights Campaign discussing the idea of the growth of LGBT voters. Yeah. And they said by 2030, it'll be one in seven, and by 2040, one in five. Despite the absolute demographic numbers of how you can get that many people on that sort of spectrum of beliefs or identities is another thing. But it illustrates that this thing is pernicious in the way that it influences your children, your family. You see this in media. You see this especially in social media and TikTok. I mean, there are people that libs of TikTok have called out for literally trafficking drugs to children in order to do so. Uh, they're very adamant about what they're going after and that they're going to lionize these people as heroes the same way that they have lionized countless other quote unquote activists and terrorists like Angela Davis and the rest. And so at the end of the day, when these people laugh, like the left laughs saying, oh, that the right, you know, the conservatives can't define wokeness. I mean, it's very simple what wokeness is. It is anti-civilization and anti-human. Yeah. And, and uh, very directly, because, yeah, I think uh, Christianity is a central part of our civilization. It is directly anti-Christian. And this is been a theme uh, that has been made very clear. Again, uh, the the shooter targeted a Christian school. But right after this, we had to hear from the White House and other sources about how trans youth are going to be fierce and fight back. And that's pretty shocking language in the face of what just happened. They're still stacking bodies because of this movement. And we're going to talk about how fierce it is and how it's going to fight back. And then following that, um, apparently, you know, it turns out that this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. People in that community can listen to that rhetoric and they can respond to those dog whistles because there was another... Uh, shooter who was planning to go on a massacre in Colorado Springs. Uh, they had targeted a middle school and apparently uh, churches for this. I don't think that those uh, targets are any form of coincidence. I think, as you said, uh, you know, Christianity gives a uh, resistance to this that few other things can. It provides an understanding of the natural hierarchy and the natural good that is far more resistant than anything else in our culture to kind of the forces that are assaulting it. And there's a reason that they're being specifically targeted by this violence. And again, the fact that a second shooter 
came right on the heels of all of this rhetoric and all of this praise and all of this encouragement. I mean, the protesters in Nashville were saying seven victims, not six. They are specifically going out of their way to include the shooter themselves who murdered children as a victim of this crime. And when you see that, there's really, again, there's just no other way to understand it than this rhetoric is used intentionally, this praise is used intentionally, uh, this ideology is pushed intentionally, uh, and the people involved are not very careful about why they're doing this. They're, they're, not, they're not really hedging their bets anymore. They're not really being, being very, uh, you know, they're, they're not really obfuscating their reasoning as to why they're pushing it. They're putting it out front, out front and making it very clear. Opposition to any part of this agenda is inviting violence from it, and the state will lavish praise on those who engage in activism in support of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to see more of it. I mean, the social media has been ablaze with respects to advertising government officials. I mean, in, in the midst of all of this, right, you you literally had, and this is the inversion of what we're dealing with here, is that you had Drew Barrymore on her knees in front of a man, Dylan Mulvaney, right? Like, you know, any other time that you would imagine a woman uh, on her knees in front of a man evokes powerful, you know, rather perverse imagery for what is to come up. And that really illustrates what we're dealing with here is, is that a man playing the minstrel show of a woman, uh, you know, is now standing right in front of a, a woman uh, who's on her knees before him. In the same way now that you saw with, uh, with Bud Light doing their recent 365 days celebrating this individual, uh, to a point where there's Facebook advertising saying, you know, uh, you know, Budweiser before they went gay, you know, with respects to their marketing. And so uh, it's totalizing. And the only thing that that shooter is a victim of is abuse, which, you know, had incorporated a, an ideology and a culture that told them that, you no, know, their fellow man is actually worth killing because of some made up idea of existence and nature. And that's going to be what it is going forward. I mean, we talk about anarcho tyranny, the famous concept coined by sam francis decades ago well it's no longer anarcho tyranny this is very much state-sponsored action and that this is endorsed by the state and it's now a low intensity conflict we're no longer meddling it out or battling it out at the ballot box if you stand in opposition to this based on your own values the fact that you have skin in the game because you have young children or that you're a christian or any other faith that goes against this um, they will have no problem saying that you're a part of the problem and that violence is the only way to meddle this out. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we look at what the Biden, uh, you know, education department is doing. They're planning to use Title IX, which uh, might might be one of the most uh, abusive pieces of uh, of, uh, of legal architecture in the United States. Uh to push the the fact that like states are not allowed to ban any kind of uh women you know uh men playing in women's sports they're not allowed to uh by the way guys there, there's not biological men or women there's just men and women that means the same thing um but no reason to hedge your language there uh but uh they're uh they're going out of their way to basically make it clear that any any funding from the federal government can be denied based on the fact that you don't let, you know, men beat up women or you don't let boys beat up girls in any given sport uh, for, for your education system. And immediately after this, we see, uh, you know, uh, the swimmer Riley Gaines attacked by a mob, like literally struck 
uh, held uh, captive. Uh, they're demanding money to to let her leave. Uh, she's functionally kidnapped, and and who knows what kind of legal charges will come. But it seems very clear. Again, not no no big leftist announcements. Not not a lot of people saying this is too far. We're we're forming mobs, attacking female athletes, uh, and and of course none of this any no hesitation from the administration saying, hey guys, uh, maybe we shouldn't be pushing these policies if they're literally justifying direct violence against female athletes. But that's obviously, like you're saying, that's a plan at this point. It's very clear. Now, you link this to another time in our history, one that's that's pretty ominous uh, in, in many ways, but I think is very valuable. Uh, that's kind of where the, the title of the stream came from and, and the title of your piece came from. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the the pre-Civil War United States, the buildup of the slave states, bleeding Kansas, and how that kind of relates to the situation we're in now? Absolutely. So yeah, the the inspiration for the article uh, and the title was that this sort of action by the shooter and the recent storming of capitals has been about political balance, control, and representation, very similar to our antebellum history in the United States with respects to a long struggle inside the 1850s in the Kansas territory known as Bleeding Kansas. Um, you don't need to know too much about it other than the fact that it was a prelude of the oncoming violence that would cost roughly 600,000 lives. Um, but, you know, it had free state settlers and supporters, radical a um, abolitionists against slavery, uh, as well as slave state settlers and, you know, border ruffians coming over from Missouri to, you know, support the cause that way, whoever had the most political control over the Kansas Territory, when it set up its constitution and it set up its government system, that it would either be a free state or a slave state, which has been the, prior to the Civil War, the longest history of balance between how many slave states are there represented in the Senate and how many free states are represented in the Senate, trying to maintain a, a healthy and hearty balance. Now, during this time in the 1850s, only about, according, your records may vary, but roughly 59 to 100 people were killed and associated with these clashes. It's a very low-intensity conflict. Not many people would die in comparison to the 600,000 lives lost in the war between the states. But in this instance, these ideas, the institution of slavery, in this instance, the institution to mutilate children, um, are now being fought out over weapons. You have groups... Uh, for example, in New England called Rainbow Reload, which are advocating straw purchases, which are against the law, mind you, so that individuals that identify as trans or LGBT or whatever, usually associated by the law of averages with mental illnesses, to make sure that they have guns, that their whole idea is to make fascists afraid again. So by simply advocating that I want my child to grow up in the sex that they were born in, uh, not only labels you as a fascist, but it, it puts you on the side of the Nazis, it puts you on the side of the Confederacy, it puts you on the side of even the British crown back in the Revolutionary War. So for a crowd of individuals that have no love for the American history or its country or its people, they sure love it when they can talk about their side, the good guys, quote unquote, um, unleashing untold amounts of violence against their political enemies. And so 
whether it's, you know, burning, you know, presses and the newspapers that are out there in this instance, in today's context, you know, uh, disabling people from promoting their material, getting them banned off Twitter or threatening their lives, as we've seen with numerous activists or with Riley Gaines. And then to see people in the university system or the government advocate for it through their intermediaries in the press or even the university president saying that they're proud of the activists bravery in standing and so, and I mean, even now you've seen on, on Twitter, people saying, you know, screw around and find out when it comes to, you know, trying to ban child mutilation and the ideology of mutilation, the social programming that's been around, whether it's from the White House, the civil rights legislation that we sort of build the stuff off of with the concept of disparate impact, or even more nefariously, the groups like the Tavistock Institute. So you know, th this piece is to reflect a parallel in our history where deeply held political ideas, whether that's slavery and abolition or in today in 2023, it's the idea that, you know, you can be anything that you want with just a couple of cuts under the knife and a little bit of hormone therapy for the rest of your life. Um, that That's what we're dealing with. And that was the inspiration for the article is that low intensity political violence has happened before in this country. And if the Nashville shooting, the recent events in state capitals and universities are any indication, um, it's well and alive in America today. Yeah. And a reason I found your comparison so compelling is, you know, during that time, the the manipulation of the democratic process was the really key focus for a lot of people. Everyone kind of understood a storm was on the horizon and they didn't know exactly what it looks like, but they knew that capturing every bit of loose power was absolutely essential. And so people were willing to move to entirely different states in hopes of, you know, basically in participating in that low, you know, grade conflict that you're talking about, low intensity conflict, and also, uh, you know, manipulating the democratic process of the system in hopes of bringing down a, vi a victory for their preferred group. And we're not quite to the point where people are rushing to other states just for that purpose, but we are seeing, I think in many ways, the great sort in this country. We do see a lot of people moving, you know, out of the Northeast because of COVID or California because of COVID restrictions and people moving out of the South because of maybe an abortion restriction. And so we're seeing a lot of, you know, people now having to vote with their feet when it comes to their political ideology, because the gulf in the culture has become so large that staying inside a state with an alternative ideology to your own really feels like being oppressed, feels like you, you, can, you cannot exist in that community anymore. And as we see the states become bluer or redder, and we see the uh, acceleration of legislation that is basically fundamentally opposed to what the other side wants, I think we're only gonna see people inside those states who are still left and have not moved become more extreme in their actions in an attempt to influence what's going on there. And that's a very, uh, it's a very scary place to be for a lot of people because we're, we're putting ourselves more and more in situations where people feel like they simply cannot exist inside a particular state and unfortunately while it would be great if everyone just moved to their preferred state and we could just kind of do our own thing and federalism would actually work it's very clear from the actions of someone like the biden administration that they're going to use everything title nine civil rights law anything that they can get their hands on 
to make sure that their ideology reigns supreme in even inside of states that have no interest in participating and the democratic will be will be entirely subverted through kind of this process of uh, a kind of cracking the ability of states to function independently if they don't get on board with this I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And the other thing that is really important for people to understand is, is that you can vote with your feet and you can flee a major metropolitan area that's got a crime problem, homeless encampments and drugs everywhere where the police aren't allowed to do anything. The problem, however, is, is that ideology doesn't care about geography. I live in a place where people can ride their horses to their local high school and have no problem getting around and literally look like something out of a country western film. But that doesn't stop them from opening their mouths and saying the latest sort of trends that you would see on YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter. Ideology is a very pernicious thing, and if you control the levers of power and the procedural manipulation to get a desired result, whether it be Title IX, Dear Colleague Letters, government funding through the Department of Education, or hiring a new digital strategy to have TikTok influencers, substackers, and tweeters out there telling you that this is the only way to live, then you aren't safe by the nature of fleeing away to a red state or a part of the, you know, the boonies. It will eventually come for you. And this is the problem that the right and conservatives or really anyone that stands against this, you know, abolition of childhood, this abolition of childhood innocence and biological reality has to understand is this that, you know, it's like you've said all the time, Oren, on Twitter and on your Substack and on the show, is this that, you know, the side that wants to be left alone will always lose to the side that wants to win. And right now, the people that want to win are the people that want to literally mutilate and transition your children without your consent. Yeah, it was just there was I think it was like a Washington Post story, and they were talking about how they had had staffers watch 1,100 episodes of Tucker Carlson so they could show uh, you know how all his conspiracy theories and debunk him. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, say what you want about the left, they understand what it takes to win. Those people not only will they will they watch that stuff not only will they watch like a, a you know a, a thousand episodes of something they'll hate and not only will the left pay them to do it people will crawl over broken glass for the honor of having the jobs in which they do that the you know journalism is still a surprisingly competitive field despite all of the terrible things about it the terrible pay and every everything else about it because the left is so ideological ideologically committed to victory that they will literally do anything and fund anything uh, for victory. And I think it's just wild that people kind of don't grasp how how extreme some of them have become in that pursuit. I mean, to the point of of hiding in red states, you know, we looked at just what happened with Texas. And, uh, you know, uh, in Austin, uh, a BLM protester was shot by someone who was in a car because the protester had an AK-47 at low ready, you know, trying to open the window. And the guy's like, uh, yeah, no, I prefer you not kill me here. And that guy got convicted of murder. Now, hopefully it looks like Greg Abbott has actually been kind of spurred to action and might actually be able to pardon this individual. But the the idea that you're simply going to hide out in a red state and everything will be fine, it's very clear that even in states that are seen as pretty red, though I understand Tennessee, uh, Texas not necessarily as red as people think it is, but it, but that that strategy alone is simply not safe when it comes to the ability of the left to kind of manipulate the legal system and make sure that even in some of the red states, you have blue cities where 12 jurors will happily convict someone simply due to their ideology.
Yeah, I mean, Travis County has no rule of law, only the politics of that county, and it is heavily progressive. Now, I'm glad that Greg Abbott is doing something. He's a little constitutionally limited on what he can do, as he said in his press statement. But it does illustrate that even if you flee, um, the cities are still not politically your friend at all, and you have to be incredibly careful of what you're dealing with. And they know this, and they have no problem convicting you, and they have no problem telling you time and time again that, no, you can't defend yourself. The only acceptable way out for you in this political situation is to submit, or and more likely in many cases, as we've seen on this issue, is to lose your life um, and be you know, spat upon at your grave. And I mean, this just goes back to a long history of how, you know, the, the concept of cultivation theory of what we see on, on television and in popular media and in our authorities that we cultivate that and that becomes part of our culture. I mean, we went from the last episode of the original run of Will and Grace and in less than a decade, you had gay marriage legalized and you had I Am Jazz appearing on TLC and things have exploded since then. You know, the slippery slope is the unabashed champion of American progress when it comes to this country, because we keep going further down the gradient. And when that's the case, they're going to constantly take a look at what they can do to expand their victories. Reading the room doesn't matter to them because they have become emboldened, not only by this ideology, but by those that wield the ideological levers of power and media access. You know, no one, uh, you know, two years ago would have told you that, you know, Dylan Mulvaney is going to be some major character. Just no one knew who they were. Or even more recently, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to come at it in the angle of religion because progressivism in America takes on a particular Christian and Unitarian veneer uh, in order to take action. So you get an individual like Charles Clymer, who goes by the name Charlotte, in, as an advocate for an organization called Catholics for Choice, saying that, you know, actually, no, God made them trans, despite the fact that, you know, we'll just throw Deuteronomy 23.1 out the window about getting into the kingdom of heaven. But that's the instance that we're in right now, is, is that all aspects of this ideology are totalizing, and if power maintains the control that it has, it will continue to do so for every person that has a progressive opinion. And there are multiple studies that indicate that in the United States, if you have liberal views, you're more likely to be swayed or to become a, a trans individual because that's the way for a lot of progressives to see themselves maintaining their status in hierarchy, especially for, say, you know, white liberals. They'll just simply say, oh, I, I'm non-binary or I'm transgender in order to, you know, not get hacked on by the issues of race or other political progressive pet projects because that's how all-encompassing this system is. This is, as you like to say, this is the total state. It is totalizing, all-encompassing, and it will do what it takes in order to win. Yeah, they really did need that way. Uh, white liberals who had buried themselves in the in the ideology had needed a way to kind of hack uh, the system and get back to the top of the oppression pyramid. And LGBTQ prioritization has really made that uh, something, that give, given them that option that they otherwise didn't have. But I wanted to ask you one more thing before we go to the questions of the people. I did a thread... Uh, a few days ago that kind of went wide on Twitter and I was pointing out the, the, you know, the kick the dog until a bite strategy. And it's very clear to me that this is something the left is doing where, you know, you, you kick the dog, you kick the dog. And then when it finally bites in an attempt to defend itself, you shoot it and uh, you know, you have justified, you know, look, it's violent. It's a mad dog. I had to put it down. And it seems very clear to me 
that the left is so brazen with this stuff and they're encouraging this stuff and they're praising this stuff because they're desperately hoping to provoke a reaction that gets them the new trans George Floyd, that gets them another summer of love, that gets them a January 6th that allows them to deploy the security state against their political enemies, that allows them to collapse what's left of state autonomy and destroy the ability of states to protect children from this ideology. I want to, a couple people, you know, there, there's some responses to that. One, do you think that's true? Two, do you think it's conscious? Well, I guess we'll start with that. Do, do you think it's, do you think that that is a, a strategy that they're deploying? And if so, do you think it's uh, something they're doing consciously or is just a natural progression of the situation we're in? Well, I think it's a strategy that they've happily used before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, anytime that there has been a, a self-defense like situation that has taken place, um, whether it's, of course, more recently with Mr. Perry or throughout the history of, say, you know, dealing with Black Lives Matter protesters or I mean, really, this does kind of kick off all the way back to like Zimmerman and that sort of case. And mm-hmm. they love it when you you know defend yourself because they'll throw the book at you, despite the fact that you have on paper a right to do so, which is to defend yourself. And so I, I think that they would love for more and more action to take place so that they can say, see how radical these MAGA extremists are. We need to deploy all powers of the you know federal security state in order to defend the country and preserve democracy. And we see that in a lot of ways already, whether it's the FBI having sort of a incel terror watch list that if you tweet out the words based and red pilled, you know, you're already on somebody's list. And I think that they, they consciously do it and they egg you on because they know on their side, they have the full power and backing of the United States government, specifically the federal government, and by most happenstances, the popular culture and the media. So anytime that you go out there, they they're going to be like see you're just like you know pop culture bad guy number you know 2767 right it's the reason why all christians nowadays in popular media and television are depicted as the bad guy despite being you know the opposite of a bad guy in real life and this is where we're at now and so i do think in a lot of ways they would love for the dog to be kicked so it could bite and like an atf agent they can just shoot the dog and move on with their business um, on the other hand, I, I do think that if that were to happen, um, you know, they're, they're going to go after individual cases where it was clearly justified for self-defense or whatever that they're doing. And that'll be the way forward. And, um, as I like to say quite often on Twitter, server rules prevent me from saying what I'd like to say. So, but I, I think that the, uh, the strategy of kicking the dog until the bites has been a very classic one by this government. Yeah, and and specifically when you look at something like the George Zimmerman case, I mean, think about the way the media treated that when it first came out. Oh, it's everything they wanted. There's almost an orgiastic delight when the Zimmerman case came out because oh, this you know this guy is going to be you know some crazy white guy. He's probably got some some history of Christian extremism, uh, you know, being anti uh, anti abortion, a uh, gun nut, you know, or whatever. And uh, and oh, this is everything we need to kind of push our agenda. The president called him, you know, his, you know, basically it's my child, you know, blah blah blah. And then kind of as the story kind of slowly unraveled, you see, well, actually, it turns out George Zimmerman's not really white. He's he's a white Hispanic, which sure. And then actually, it turns out he might have had uh, African ancestry in his, you know, in his background as well. And actually, it, this looks a lot like, uh, you know, perhaps you know two minorities, you know, engaging in violence against each other. Oh, and by the way, it turns out his head was pummeled against the ground. He's bleeding and his scalp and just all these parts of the story come out and they're really inconvenient to the narrative. 
And even in, with, in that instance where there are so many things that push back against the narrative, still, if you ask most people what they remember about George Zimmerman, he's some white guy who shot a black kid for being black, right? And so it's amazing that even when all of the facts about the, uh, about the case can contradict the narrative, eventually the thing that's immediately announced is that that, that first mover advantage of controlling all of the mainstream media really allows the left to submit any story where it is we saw the same thing with like january 6th you know where where the, you know we put out a storyline that's the one that that most people understand and even if the details are eventually unravel parts of the narrative they'll be heard and understood and believed by smaller and smaller percentages of the population so we still kind of control the basics of this and this is why i told people to stay frosty and to kind of just avoid bad situations i know a lot of people are like oh okay then you just don't do anything that's not what i'm saying but but i think jesse kelly had a good point you know recently he said you watch the left protest and you watch the left change things with protests we all understand that that's not really how it works but but you watch the left take these basically super uh, or, or these these uh non-constitutional actions these illegal actions and be successful with them and you want to do that and it's like watching mike tyson knock somebody out in 10 seconds and saying i want to do that without like doing any of the training and any of the road work and any of the weight lifting and in not doing like the thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of grinding and practice to put yourself in that position you just aren't in that position right now and before you can be in any position where you have effective uh, resistance to what the left is doing, we got to put in the work. You got to put in the work of uh, politically, you got to put in the work personally, you have to be in a situation where you're strengthening your community, you're strengthening your control over your local area, you're making sure that your sheriff is friendly to your, your cause, your school board is friendly to your cause. You're in an area where you have that kind of leverage because the left controls these areas. And if you go to them and you take the same actions that the left take in them, you will be destroyed because they have a political, they have a two tier justice system. You do not have control of it. And so I think it's just really important for people to understand that uh, the things the left are doing now and the reason they're getting away from them is they put in so much work way up ahead of this. They're, 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 they're many decades ahead of you, which you're looking at as a multi-generational problem. And you pushing back in one scenario will only be used and manipulated uh, by the media as a way to kind of wreck you. Not that the media is not going to lie about you anyway. They obviously are. But just be aware that you have to build institutions and communities and political power before you can really push back into this stuff. It's not the other way around. You don't push back and then you get the power. You, you get the power and then it gives you the opportunity to oppose the stuff in a more effective way. And so I'm not saying don't oppose this stuff. I'm saying oppose in a way that is intelligent and is powerful, is multi-generational, that matters, that is effective, rather than something that feels good in the moment or feels, you know, that gives you a burst of dopamine, of, of, of political heroin, and then immediately drops you into a terrible situation. I think that's that's really key. I don't know what your thoughts are about that, but I, I just want to leave people with that. No, I mean, that's a, those were all very good points. And I think that, you know, as we talk about with the history of, you know, our, our political action, that even though people like, you know, Kelly or John Derbyshire were right when it came to the issues of like Zimmerman and the others, that 
people will look at what you had just laid out and they'll ask, well, how do you do that? And I think that one of the first things that we also need to recognize as conservatives as on the right or whatever you want to call yourself is the same issue that our friends over on the good old boys podcast talk about, which is patronage. Mm -hmm. The left has a well-intricated, well-funded patronage network to ensure that people who are rich, wealthy, and progressive can fund the most ugly, dysgenic people on earth to commit wanton violence and acts of terrorism against people like you. Uh, the right doesn't necessarily have this because we're all kind of all out for ourselves. We don't particularly collectivize. We don't have organizations or things like that. And so being friendly with your judge, being friendly with your sheriff, being friendly with just an ordinary group of people that would be able to clear a roadway from like trees or things being blocked in the way of it or how to take out fires relatively quickly are going to help you in the long run. If you have something that you can provide, whether that's financial support, political connections, or resources to make sure that people who are struggling because they were doxxed or quit, they were fired from their job because they held the politically incorrect opinions, that gives you a substantial amount of power in ways that many people on the right have forgotten how to leverage. People should hearken back to the people of Tammany Hall and Boss Tweed and recognize how politics operated back then, because it still operates very well today, just with social media, Cash App and Venmo and, you know, the levers of power and government, both state and federal. And the right needs to recognize that power does create itself with opportunity. And the opportunity for the right right now is to create networks of patronage, political support, and to make sure that you're not alone. I mean, Oren and I are right now just talking on the internet right now, but that doesn't stop us from having opportunities to meet, host conferences and things like that. I mean, one of the aspects of, say, the Old Glory Club, as we talked about in this article, is, is that we want to be able to support people in the future who, like that firefighter in Virginia, was fired for simply donating to Kyle Rittenhouse's legal defense fund. Those are the things that need to happen for the right to maintain not just some semblance of power, but more importantly, anti-fragility against a state that wants you broke, dead, or transitioned. Yeah, it's really essential for people to grasp that dependency um, breeds loyalty and that this network and reciprocal relationship of patron and client is what builds a force that can actually do good. And it's you have to be willing to make that investment personally uh and 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 otherwise and you know just for there there are so many people on the right uh you know big donors and such who are happy to pour you know millions and you know tens of millions of dollars into campaigns uh thinking that that's going to be the big change but won't put even a small amount of money into making sure that there's an effective strategy for you know people to find jobs or people to network or people to you know have uh, to be protected if they do something like you're talking about where they they donate to the wrong person, they're they're not willing to play the small ball, and because they're not willing to play the small ball, they can't even imagine a scenario in which they would get to do anything else. And so I really think it's important for people to have that mindset of building, understanding that the the short term wins won't come, but the long term wins will happen if you put the short term work in now, uh, or the long term work in now. All right, guys, we're going to move over to the questions of the people. But of course, before we do that, Mr. Prudentialist, please share where people can find all of your excellent work. 
Sure. Once again, Oren, thank you for having me on. I look forward to answering questions. You can find most of my work um, on YouTube, Twitter, Substack, and any other streaming platform with videos and blog posts. But all of them can be conveniently found at a great little website called findmyfriends.net slash the prudentialist. You'll find access to where all of my work is, what I'm currently up to, and what I have been doing, including being here on Oren Show. Yeah, uh, speaking of alternative institutions and little things that you don't think make a big difference, but do our friend, our mutual friend Charlemagne created Find My Friends when uh, uh, the link tree started getting ideological and banning people for that. And that's a safe place where creators can, you know, uh, share their work and not have to worry about ideological cancellation. So just small things like that, guys, things that don't seem like a big deal, maybe only take you an afternoon or something can matter. And so that that's just a, a another good example of something small, but something that can make a difference in the long term, even though it's it's just one in, in, in many stones in, in a building that has to be built. All right, Creeper Weirdo here for $2. It's not happening, but but if it was, it would be good. Yes, if anyone has not read the Celebration Parallax essay uh, by Michael Anton, you should, of course, do that immediately. It's a great essay, I believe, Skeptical Waves, shout out to Skeptical Waves has it uh, in audio form on his channel. So make sure that you are checking that out. It is very insightful. Uh, Creeper Weirdo again here for $5. You guys ever watch Read a Clockwork Orange? It hits a little different nowadays. Odd that, yes, I've seen the movie though. I've never read Clockwork Orange. You ever read Clockwork Orange? I have, and the book oh, okay. definitely hits a little different in 2023. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Creeper Weirdo one more time. Thank you very much, sir. There's an FBI program teaching high schoolers here in Oregon. Isn't that weird? Uh, yeah, like the the joke I made online is there's a there's a uh, a bot. Uh, I guess there's now an AI program, and people were warning about how AI might uh, radicalize uh, you know youth online. And my joke was FBI getting automated out of a job by a uh, by AI. But yeah, no. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it doesn't. I'm not surprised that you know we're teaching kids to glow so early. <laughs> All right, uh, Maddie Ice here for ten dollars. I keep seeing them talk about transgenocide. Is it possible that someone who had their penis surgically inverted perhaps a problem with accurate categorization? Uh, yeah, obviously, um, it, it's the rhetoric there is chosen specifically. It's obviously an accelerant. Um, this isn't true. It's not even approaching true if you look at the numbers, uh, but it doesn't matter because once the uh, kind of uh, rhetoric is out there and it's been embraced, then they can use it to drive people who are obviously by definition mentally unstable towards making even worse uh, choices. And uh, that's something that unfortunately ends in a very predictable and uh, horrific way, but it doesn't seem to be something that bothers those who are answering that rhetoric uh yeah so, i would just oh, reiterate sorry. paul gottfried's 2021 book uh anti-fascism a course of crusade because that really does highlight that if you can label it in the imagery of world war ii and genocide then you kind of have that moral carte blanche feeling of i can attack and defend based on self-existence and bashing fascists heads in yeah, this, this is so much of what's happening right now. It's always placed in this existential, and this is where the Carl Schmidt gets scary, the, the, the friend-enemy distinction on a very real sense. You know, I've explained, a lot of people see the friend-enemy and they think it's just uh, like, oh, friend's good, enemy's bad. And yes, it is, but, uh, the, the, but that's kind of a very meme, shallow level of understanding it. Carl Schmidt puts it, you know, 
in in far more stark terms where the the enemy is the alien the that which cannot be understood and cannot be uh permitted because it it threatens kind of the the group and it's very clear that um our regime is is couches everything like you said in the rhetoric of anti-fascist because the fascism is the enemy it is that which is alien and unimaginable and cannot be allowed to exist there's a reason they're calling everyone fascist at this point there's a reason they move from racist to to fascist and it's because they want to make it very clear you don't have the right to exist like you 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 are the enemy you are the outside you are the alien and that which can be not be permitted inside the political community uh, and so you must be removed from the political community. And when you have a threat that that's real and that that's that 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 is that existential, then you can justify almost anything. Which is why the 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 you know pump a, punch a Nazi meme with Richard Spencer became such a thing on the left, right? Where you know uh, whatever the the deep 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 faults of Richard Spencer, uh, obviously they they were trying to normalize a particular response. Uh, and and apply that understanding of people to everyone uh, who might disagree with the left. And they are trying to normalize uh, violence against people pretty directly. And uh, I don't think there's at this point any way to deny that that is uh, something that has become a key part of the, the leftist acceleration in their rhetoric. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the the key goal. This is that in, in today's year of our Lord, 2023, that you know, anything that gets labeled fascist is given, you know, the permission by polite society, the media, the government, that that is the only acceptable thing that you can wantonly murder, even if it's the furthest thing from fascism on earth. Uh, Karen Sauer, thank you for your super chat, but I am going to avoid reading it just out of an abundance of caution, but I appreciate your super chat. And then, uh, Holmes Goad here for $5. There's no more self-evident truth than what a woman is. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's obviously um, the the where we've gotten to, where all of this has been deconstructed to where they can't even understand this. And, you know, it, it's interesting. I've been told that, that liberalism and wokeness don't have any kind of connection because liberalism is just this... Uh, it's this completely objective and rational understanding of human existence as where wokeness is like exactly the opposite of that. But I think it's weird that if you went around and like at this point spoke to plenty of anti-woke people, even they wouldn't be able to come to a complete consensus on the definition of woman or the definition of marriage. And so I, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little unsure if even our last generation of liberals has what it takes to kind of push back and, and, uh, oppose this stuff. I think you kind of have to have a deeper grounding, something in tradition, something in religion, something like Christianity or or other traditions that provide you uh, the ability to truly stand on truth and, and understand the, the deep purposes and meanings of uh, these institutions and these definitions. It, it is amazing that the more we progress, the less able we are to recognize something that any peasant in the 1300s could have totally grasped much, much easier. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what Nick Land wrote about in The Dark Enlightenment was this, that the left loves dialectical games because that creates new opportunities for power, even if that means we lose those definitions for words. Absolutely. And uh, uh, Joshua Beebe here for four ninety nine. Thank you very much. Temple and uh, Vivek Rashaswamy, I think is the way you say that correctly. We're seriously discussing service guarantee citizenship thoughts. 
I mean, based, um, but also, I don't know. So we're in this we really weird scenario where, um, you know, normally I'm a huge fan. Um, I, I grew up on military bases. I know the Prudentialist did too. My father was in the military. Uh, most, many of my friends were, were service members. I have a deep respect for our, our lion class, our military class. Um, but we're also in a very weird place where uh, our own military is now completely woke and is a force kind of against the interests of the people of the United States. And so normally I would say, yeah, that would be great because like then, you know, uh, you know, we would have people who participated in the defense of the state. We would have a more lion-esque, uh, you know, class who would be, uh, you know, kind of filling that role. Uh, but at this point, I, I don't know, you know, there's there someone talking about how, oh, the, you know, this new generation is weak and we need a draft so that everyone can can kind of uh, join the military and remember, you know, what it's like to to, to be a, a real man who serves the country. And I'm like, at this point, it feels like they'd just be fighting for trans rights in Africa. Right. Like, I don't I don't know what, if that would fix things. But but I understand at least the 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 impulse to the uh, to the Heinlein uh, Heinlein Starship Troopers future and. Uh, there, there is some truth in that. Yeah, I don't know how much of uh, my values would be represented in the future progressive recruiting ads of I'm doing my part of raising a, <laughs> yeah, right. a, a pride flag somewhere in Uganda or, or Afghanistan. I, I don't see the point in it. Uh, today's values of it. I mean, uh, everything that we've seen with with bureaucracy, whether it's in this country or, say, the United Kingdom, uh, that the civil service will do everything in its hand to resist anything that moves rightward. And I would have no uh, desire to serve that. And my moral and religious teachings would tell me to resist that at all costs. Yeah. Though I will say Heinlein, uh, very predictive in his, uh, uh, his uh, idea that uh, democracy and the uh, social engineers would destroy the civilization. So, uh, you know, cre credit to uh, Heinlein where it's due. Absolutely. All right, guys, I think we got through all of our questions there. I want to say thank you to everybody for coming by. Please make sure you're checking out The Prudentialist, his great piece uh, for which this stream was named over at the Old Glory Club. And make sure you're checking out all of his other content. If this is your first time at this channel, please make sure that you go ahead and subscribe. Of course, if you want to get these broadcasts as podcasts, you can go ahead and go to all your favorite podcast platforms and subscribe to the Oren McIntyre show. If you do so, please make sure to give that rating and review. It helps with all of the algorithm magic. And of course, this goes to Rumble, Odyssey, all those other uh, alt tech platforms. So if you want to watch it there, you can check it out. Thanks for coming, guy, or thanks for coming by, guys. And as always, I'll talk to you next time.